would you say that you are undecided? No, I kind of like Biden. Really? Yeah. Okay. I really like I'm supposed him. to say at oh, this event. Sorry. This is for Hickenlooper. Honey. I love Hickenlooper. <laughs> Who is he? You know, I just goofed up. <laughs> and the man of the hour. Yeah, we're in Dubuque, Iowa, over toward the eastern side of the state, and we are at a house party, one of the fabled house parties at the home of Jack Wurzberger, and everybody was waiting and waiting for Governor Hickenlooper, and he was running a little bit behind, and then the next thing you know... Today, you come in playing show tunes on that piano back at the house, right? I will confess, and as you could call quirky, I, I never get a chance to play the piano, almost ever, and, and, and I loved it. I'm Tim Alberta. I'm the chief political correspondent for Politico magazine. I got to spend 24 hours with John Hickenlooper, the former Colorado governor who is now running for president. Because of the sort of frame through which we have all been programmed to view politicians and certainly to view presidential politics, here's a guy who in so many ways colors outside the lines of, of those conventions. But he talks and he acts and he carries himself in a way that is much more similar to how voters do than any of these other politicians in the field. So I didn't see, and I don't think everybody in the room necessarily saw, how this glass broke. All we know is that this grand celestial entrance that he had into this bar on a Friday night in Des Moines and the place is buzzing and it's his first official event in Iowa as a presidential candidate and he's got this glow about him and suddenly the record scratches and the beer crashes into the ground and shatters and everybody wants to know what the hell just happened. You walked into that bar yesterday and you you, uh, knocked into that guy and his glass broke and then you started trying to... Just for the record, I did not touch him. His his elbow knocked his glass off. I did not touch him. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I was an innocent. I was I was collateral death. So this had nothing to do with it. Nothing. With you. Nothing. But you tried to pick up the glass. Yeah. He starts scooping up the shards of glass in his bare hands, and uh, and look, it's pretty interesting that you know we're all jaded and we're all cynical. So you might look at this politician, this wannabe president of the United States, this aspiring leader of the free world bending down to pick up these shards of glass and you might think oh that's cute right this is this is a pretty well-worn routine here projecting to the masses that he's no better than the minimum wage dishwasher who's going to get called out to to sweep up this glass but when Hickenlooper was told "Eh, you don't have to do that he was sort of shooing people away saying "Ah, I've picked up more glass than all you guys have don't worry about it right and I think that for those who caught it it was an interesting moment, certainly, and sort of a glimpse into his personality. And for all of his political flaws and vulnerabilities, and let's face it, John Hickenlooper is nobody's idea of a frontrunner to be president of the United States. He's more than likely not going to wind up being the Democratic nominee, but certainly at sort of a gut human level, he does make an impression on people that, wow, this is somebody who I can actually relate to. And it's funny because it sort of feeds into this this idea that I've when I've talked to people who know you and 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 this zeitgeist uh, of 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 John Hickenlooper that he's he's kind of quirky he's kind of funny right he's kind of he's kind of he's kind of quirky quirky about picking up broken glass so people don't walk on it well you well no what are you talking about this gets to my point which I was going to ask you I can't tell if you're too quirky to be president or if you're too normal to be president. 
nobody thinks that a politician can do anything except be a politician, right? Most of them have wanted to be a politician their whole life, and they don't have any hobbies. They don't have stuff. They're exceptions. You know, Clinton, <laughs> play, Clinton played the, the, the saxophone. Uh, he was never involved in politics until his 50s. He never ran for even class president when he was in high school or college. This was a guy who was trained as a scientist and wound up starting a brew pub on sort of a wing and a prayer. This is a guy who had no friends as a kid and who had sort of a broken childhood, as he describes it, and a guy who is dyslexic, and in addition to being dyslexic, has a very rare and pretty severe condition that's commonly known as face blindness. So a guy who could see someone, meet them, have a lengthy conversation with them, and then if he saw them again a few weeks later, as he did in our case, would have no idea who they were. Yeah, so we piled into so his much. Infinity SUV. We sat in the middle row, and Everybody in? we took a nice scenic drive from Dubuque all the way over to Clinton, and at one point sort of driving parallel to the Mississippi River southeast down towards Clinton, which is near the Illinois border. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about his childhood. We talked about his rise, his very unlikely rise in Colorado politics. And we talked about his most unlikely campaign for the presidency. And why he's a little bit different from most of his rivals for the Democratic nomination. So, fire away, Gridley, fire when ready. So you're in the honeymoon phase here, but having sprinted around like you have for the last 72 hours, have you even allowed your mind to drift for one moment to the realization of how grueling this is going to be for the next you know, 10 to 12 months, if not longer, of your life? No, I don't. Again, this is cold, rainy today, dark, driving's not good. You know, I love people. This doesn't feel like work to me. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, so I get as much energy as anyone can get from interacting with people. I come out of one of those things and I'm frustrated that we have to wait a whole hour before I can talk to somebody else. Thank Um, God you're in the car. I was going to (laughs) say, lucky for you. Here we are. So, I am fascinated by the psychology of someone who runs for president. You're flesh and blood. You have to wake up every day and, you know, put your clothes on and try to figure out the world for yourself as you're, as you're prescribing all of this to the rest of us. And even as an extrovert, it's not easy to get up in front of crowds all day and, 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 and talk and take tough questions. What would you say is your single biggest insecurity? What's something that, you know, as you get up on that stage or as you have a tough question coming your way that you find yourself worrying about? Uh, I think like most people, I have a hard time talking about those places where I was broken, right? When I was a kid. Uh, And I don't usually, I mean, there were a number of years there where I just, I was angry all the time. And here's my mother, she's a widow twice. She's raising four kids by herself. And I would, she would do the most innocent things and I would go into a rage. And and this was like when I was, started really when I was seven, eight, nine, and then really went through until I was in high school. A rage, like a temper tantrum? Yeah, or, just or for a, a physically? kick, kick waist. Well, I never physically attacked or anything, but, but I would scream and yell, or I would stamp out of the room. I would, I would obviously there were things wrong with me, in, in, with my life. There were things that either I didn't like myself or I didn't, but anyway, made it hard on my siblings I made it hard on on my mother I made it hard on myself what so what what was it in your life that allowed you to heal you said you were broken what was it that 
Is there anything you can pinpoint, an inflection point, that you were able to begin a healing process and find happiness? I had uh, just a sequence of friends, a, a few friends in high school, like my, God, what a great little town this is. Uh, wow. That's a view, huh? Well, no, no, I was looking at that little inn. That's where I want to stay. The, Gell- the Gellin House Inn. But I didn't really begin feeling... And again, it was sort of when I, we opened the restaurant was really when I that I guess that was a community that where I I got to be friends with people in a, deep, in a deeper way. So let me ask you this. I was completely flabbergasted and fascinated to read this past week uh, when you had made the announcement that you were going to enter the race formally about this issue of face blindness it was something I'd never even heard of. It's not weird. It's, it's incredible. So I have to ask you, I was at your restaurant, you know, 10 days ago with you. And when you saw me today, did you recognize me? No. No, I did. I did because I knew you were going to be there. So I didn't recognize you. But then as we were walking out, then I figured out who you were. Yeah. That, I mean, How could you forget a face like this? I know. <laughs> so, so, that, so that's incredible as, as a... But as you a, couldn't tell that I didn't recognize you, could you? No, but I was I was paying attention to it, and I could. But but frankly, but I look at everybody. I try to look at everybody with a friendly expression because otherwise I gives it. I, I, well, I, I I otherwise I I you know irritate somebody, make them angry. How old were you when you realized that this was the case? Oh my God, uh, five years, six years ago. I just thought I thought you know it's what they told they told you know I bought into the thing that as my as my mother said, my siblings said that my my girlfriends they'd say you just don't pay attention right i thought there was a lack of attention and in politics of all businesses restaurant of all businesses, and well that's true too most people don't i don't think most people don't care about whether you recognize their face or not i mean care about people care about how they look and and if, they, if you if you pointed out that i didn't recognize anybody or if i pointed it out you know it doesn't improve anybody's life but it is what it is what people care about is that you remember who they are and so what you know, my goal is, you know, before we go into these meetings, is to, is for Sam to brief me on who's there, who's who are they, some background. The more information I get, you know, even if I'm meeting 20 people a day, so I can't possibly, and having to memorize responses to difficult journalistic questions, all those things fill up your mind to a certain extent. But as long as I get a framework for the people, when I meet them a second time, and, and again, Sam will remind me who they are, and I'll remember a little discussion I had with them here. You know, oh yeah, Jack's house. I remember what we talked about. That, that's what people care about. They just want you to remember who they are as people, not necessarily what they look like. I gotta say, I've heard a million presidential stump speeches, but I, I'm I'm very intrigued by your talking about being a geologist and a scientist by training, and the contrast between being a scientist running for president and being a lawyer running for president, which most of these folks are, is really quite interesting, especially considering you didn't get into politics until your 50s. And, and you're a very nice guy. And wait, wait, you're talk, going, 49. 49. I, excuse I, me. I announced, I announced a month before my 50th. Okay, excuse me. 49. But you took office when you were 50, right? Yep. So didn't become an elected official until you were in your 50s. And you're a nice guy. You're kind of going out of your way not to beat up on people. I'm not trying to bait you to do so. But there would seem to be a pretty sharp divergence between a scientist and someone who you know worked in the restaurant industry was an entrepreneur did all of these things versus a lot of lawyers who became lawyers so that they could get into politics well that's uh, I think that is part of the difference I I haven't asked all the candidates this but I'm gonna guess most of them ran for class president right when they were in high school or college 
Uh, and I never, it never entered my mind. And I think it's a different personality type, uh, you know, a different style of leadership for sure. And certainly something that is not just foreign to many of the other candidates, but to a certain extent is foreign to the media. And there, I think there's probably a certain suspicion there. And you've, I'm sure you've seen many of the same stories I did of, you know, what chance does he have? And, you know, he doesn't take a strong enough position on this or that. He takes too long to get to a decision. It's sort of how science works, right? You don't jump to snatch, snap judgments. You try to take, make sure you can get all the facts and think it through and then make better decisions. That's part of why I'm running was because I think at this moment in time and, and not, it might not be necessarily true 10 years ago or 10 years from now, uh, but I think I bring something to the table that, that the country needs. And does it, does it hit you in that moment that you ain't, you ain't running for mayor at Denver anymore? Right. Like you're not the restaurateur who's got this, you know, this this dream of you're running to be the leader of the free world. I mean, does that smack you in the face at any point? It certainly did. And, and, and you know, I don't think anybody wakes up when they're starting out and looks in the mirror and says, ah, that's the president of the United States. Right. right? Uh, well, I don't know. Some people might. <laughs> uh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Good point. One of the things that struck me when I've been listening to you. And you've been talking about sort of lowering the temperature and, 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 and bringing people back together a little bit and, that, and, you know, rejecting the labels, but also clearly implicit in that is not going so far left as to alienate some people who are in the middle of the electorate and, and, and who are looking for somebody who is more pragmatic and, and geared towards problem solving. We really don't have, uh, and I've talked with a couple of political historians about this, we really don't have any precedent for an out-of-power party moving farther towards its base during a time of economic growth. In other words, traditionally, when you do have a political party that's out of power move more conservatively or more liberally, it's during a time of an economic downturn. So at this moment, when you do have economic growth, that is where you will hear some more moderate Democrats say, we don't have the space, we can't afford to be branded as a much more progressive party because you do have a lot of folks in the middle of the electorate who they don't like Donald Trump. They're they're offended by his rhetoric. They may not have voted for him in the first place in, in 2016, but they feel as though economically, at least, the country might be moving in the right direction. So what do you do with that? How do you thread that needle? You know, I come back to, I think, in many ways, President Trump has betrayed the people that voted for him, right? In other words, his impetuous embrace of some of the most, you know, strident tariffs, probably since Smoot-Hawley, right? Since you go way back, uh, without regard to who, what the consequences would be. No warning, no discussion. I mean, again, here in Iowa, they're saying that, that a soybean farmer will be eight years, eight good years, before they'll get back to where they were two years ago. And he said to bail them out because of it. But the bailout, he didn't bail them out. I'm talking about even with the bailout, mm -hmm. right? It'll be eight years before they get back, before they're made whole. Remember Farm Aid, which is a, 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 a real wave of farm bankruptcy. So here's the question. If the president has betrayed his voters, why does he remain so immensely popular with self-identified Republicans? Because save for George W. Bush post 9-11, no president in the last half century has been more popular with his party's base at the two-term, at the two-year mark, rather, than Donald Trump. I know. It's inexplicable. How do you, I, I mean, what do you make of that? 
it is, uh, I can only think, <clears throat> the only thing I can think of is it is a reflection of the polarization that that all of our media has created. And, and by that I mean, you know, when we got rid of the, the Fairness Act back in whenever that was, 1988, yeah. I think 87. Mm -hmm. So it allowed channels to go out and, and be all one way or all another. Uh, that helped polarize. Facebook, obviously, uh, even YouTube. You know, if you if you watch a YouTube and you it's any kind of a political slant on it, you get pop-ups to show, click on this one, click on this one. Each one of those takes you to a more extreme, slightly more extreme political point of view because they figure that they have found through their algorithms that that keeps your attention on the screen. They're getting you angered up. They're getting you fired up. For whatever all these reasons, that polarization and the fact that he plays to the polarization, right? He invites it. He wants it. He wants to. He thinks that dividing people keeps him in power right? he's right well, it, well it's not unusual right that's uh have you seen madeline albright's book yes i haven't i haven't read it but i'm well, familiar with it one of the one of the i don't know you call it a trope or one of the pieces is that the what word is most synonymous for fascist it's bully hmm. right and this dividing people has been a tool that you know that bullies have used but also dictators have used for years does the president have fascist tendencies? I don't, I'm not going to say that, but I am going to say that he has made an art of dividing the American people. So I'm a big believer that every Republican who's honest is a liberal on at least one issue, and that every Democrat who's honest is a conservative <laughs> on at least one issue. What is the one issue that you are a conservative on? Um, geez, I don't know. I'll find one. Um, I think, I mean, overall, I am, you know, fiscally conservative. In other words, I think... You're not, you're not a fan of modern monetary theory? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't, again, I'll, I'll say that, that I could be persuaded. One of the things I, I mentioned today, which I normally never talk about, but I don't think the government needs to be bigger, right? I think government's got to work, and people have to believe in government. I think that's part of the problem, you know, when, when Ronald Reagan came out and said, ha ha, I'm from the governor and I'm here to help. And that was a joke. He didn't have to explain the joke, right? We'd gotten to the point where government was so large and so unmanaged that it wasn't delivering what people really wanted. You know, when if someone comes to a the restaurant, they get a meal, you deliver them something they want, they pay you in something you want, and you have a transaction and both sides feels happy about it, right? And there's a certain elegance to that. When you're talking about govern not, government not growing, not being bigger, just to clarify then, so as the scientist in the field, you would not be a fan of the Green New Deal. Well, I That's mean, I mean, because that, you're talking about a massive growth of government. I, I don't think it's spelled out well enough. It's just a resolution. I'm not sure that that's bigger government. Uh, uh, there, you're certainly but, talking about tens of trillions of dollars in government spending and, and new apparatuses required to, yeah, to not, oversee it, this transition. It, it, it's not clear of whether that's government uh, spending or they're going to incentivize and motivate the private sector Public to do private. a lot of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. private, private partnerships. So I don't think that's, that's fair to say. But, but I think it's fair that someone like me saying, you know, I think what a lot of Americans want is better government, not bigger, bigger government. Right. And I think that that's a conservative thing for someone like me to say. Uh, and by the same token, I can, you know, there are places probably where we need 
to do a better job in delivering, you know, human services. I mean, all kinds of things. But it doesn't always mean that we need more people. And last question, we'll end it here since we're pulling into a bar. You love <laughs> beer, which is, which is great. But do you worry that beer can make you tired when you have to be out on the out on your feet for you know 16 hours a day some of these days how you know does your love of beer pose a potential threat to your candidacy <laughs> um uh if i'm if i'm going to do this i'm going to do it and i'm not going to be able to have a, a drink with, with dinner every night because oftentimes i got to go do a tv interview i've got to go to a house uh and i got to be it is hard, and I've got to be as sharp as I can be. And I bet, you know, I had a, a, a stout, or the better part, half a stout. Last night. Last night. I had one after. That was, that was good. It was really good. That milkman. Yeah. Milkman milks out. Um, it's not that big a sacrifice, right? And I got Well, for of, a guy who opened a bar, it's no, kind of a sacrifice. No, some of the people I most admire. So, so the guy who, you ever hear that so- song, Wagon Wheel? Yeah. You know, oh, rock yeah. Me, rock me, yeah. So, so catch Secor. And he has a band called Old Crow Medicine Show. We've got to be great friends. When they play Red Rocks, he lets me come out and sing a verse. You know, uh, he quit drinking six years ago because he knew he couldn't. He wanted his band to be a national band. He knew he knew they they couldn't get there if he was going to be getting high. But there's a fine line because once in a while you've had a long day. You're going to need a beer, right? Every once in a while. You know, there's exceptions <laughs> for every rule. <laughs> Governor, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Well, there you have it. John Hickenlooper, ladies and gentlemen. I love it. So far, I love it. You might be right. I might end up loving it a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. less. <laughs> so you'll notice that we're back with Off Message, and we're trying something a little bit different. And we're really excited about doing this and bringing you more of these episodes, trying to get inside the minds of some of these folks who think that they're capable of leading the free world. But we'd like some of your feedback, so why don't you drop me a line? My email is talberta at politico.com, or you can find me on Twitter at timalberta. Thank you to our wonderful producer, Jenny Ament, and thank you to our wonderful executive producer, Dave Shaw. And a very special thanks to our friend Eric Jones for helping us out with recording in Iowa. 